Hello and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is our 14th episode in which we will be discussing old editions versus reprints. And then we're going to be comparing two very modern novels for us. Mm. Um, Audrey Diffenegger's two books, The Time Traveller's Life and Her Fearful Symmetry. So, um, Simon, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I've um, just had a nice weekend in Shropshire, staying in another Landmark Trust property. I think I mentioned the previous Landmark Trust property I'd stayed in in Shropshire in an early episode. Um, being a creature of habit, I've, <laughs> I went back. It was lovely. I spent the weekend reading and eating, and that was about it. <laughs> now, I've heard that these Landmark Trust properties have great libraries. Is this true? Hmm. Well, this one had a, a bookcase. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> uh, so it was worth in it. Mm, it was a. It was an old gatehouse. Oh. The, the actual manor it was a gatehouse too has been knocked down. But basically, it is yeah, it's quite. It's one room deep, and it's all a bit crowded on one another. So it wasn't huge. So there wasn't room for a library really. But do you know one of the books they did have amongst the you know Birds of Shropshire type books <laughs> was Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. <laughs> A book I gave up on after a page and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's not my cup of tea either, I have to say. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah. But I did do some fun reading. I read, um, well, the only book I finished actually was Edmund Crispin's The Moving Toy Shop. I feel yeah. like I've heard of this. So I think it's, oh, I can't remember when it was published. Between the 30s and the 60s, sometime around then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's set in Oxford, and it's a detective novel set, well, a murder mystery set in Oxford about a man who finds a, mer- a dead body in a toy shop when he goes back the next morning, morning the toy shop has gone. Oh. Mm. That was exciting. It was exciting. It was particularly exciting because the toy shop was, is supposedly around the corner from my house, so that was nice. Um, the actual plot is rather filled with holes, but it was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's my usual problem that I re- if I read any books, that, any detective novels that I'm by Agatha Christie, is that the plots are always a bit raggedy. <laughs> Uh, how, are, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just um, not had a weekend in Shropshire, um, <laughs> but had a very nice weekend nonetheless. Oh, and I'm going on holiday, not next week, but the week after. So that's exciting. Ooh, where are you going? Well, I'm going on a little tour of the Baltic, as you do. Ooh. So I'm starting off in Riga, and then I'm going to Tallinn, and then Helsinki. Gosh, you make me feel provincial. <laughs> like, you know, Simon, I'm, I'm doing a big thing this year of wanting to explore more of Europe. Mm. So I'm, I'm going there and I'm also going to Rome later in the year and then I'm spending the entire summer in France, so, you know. Gracious. Just well, getting around. I'm just exploring different bits of Shropshire, <laughs> but I'll, I'll have well, all that you know, covered. I've never been to Shropshire, so yeah, I'd lovely. like to go. <laughs> They call it the Rome of the Midlands. <laughs> oh, really? No, I think I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> It and sounds I've... like it should be cool. <laughs> well, I've never well, been to Italy either, so I wouldn't really make the comparison. Although I am going to Siena later in the year. Oh, I really want to go there. I'd never heard of it until someone suggested we go there. So, so it's not been a long-term plan of mine. But I suppose you're very beautiful. So I've heard, yeah. But then going with the same people I went to Shropshire with. Oh, right. Well, I'm sure you'll have a lovely time and you'll be able to compare whether Shropshire really is <laughs> the very <of> the Midlands. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. I'll feedback. Um, yeah, please do. Um, um, so, um, would you recommend your moving toy shop? Because I am um, looking for a new detective novel to read. I would definitely recommend it. It's really fun, um, and it's about the the main guy is um, a professor of English, which is good fun uh-huh. because he sort of 
he mocks it a bit, <laughs> mocks undergraduates and that sort of thing. Um, so if you go in e- expecting there to be all sorts of holes in the plot, then you'll be fine. You'll enjoy okay. it. Does, it. does this mean you finished Rosamund Lehman? Oh yeah, I finished. I finished that ages ago. Oh, I'm on. Um, I'm reading London Belongs to Me. Oh, of course you are. Yes, I am still reading because it is quite the doorstop. It is over 600 pages, but. I'm about 100 pages from the end, and I really don't want it to finish because I love it so much. Oh, he wrote loads, didn't he? Did he? Well, I think he did, and also I believe he wrote for TV as well. Mm. Yeah. What a polyglot. Yeah, quite an interesting man. So I'm, I'm absolutely loving it, and I do highly recommend London Belongs to Me. It is newly republished by Penguin, and it does look very daunting when you first pick it up because it's one of those books that's got tiny, tiny, tiny print, and it's... <laughs> A million pages long, but it does whiz past because it's so engrossing and it's not difficult language or anything, so it's very accessible. Hmm. Yeah, you'd love it, I think. Even though it's set in London, you would love it. Even though it's set in London and long. <laughs> I'm reading a chunkster at the moment, actually. I'm reading um, Robert Douglas Fairhurst's book about Lewis Carroll and Alice. I, got, I think it's called The Story of Alice, maybe. Oh, is that new? I feel like I saw it in the shop today. It's, it's just that in paperback, so it was hardback last year. Um, oh, and I've yeah. got the paperback. Uh, but Robert Douglas Fairhurst was my undergraduate tutor, so it's um, it's quite fun to read it because his turn of phrase, unsurprisingly, is the same <laughs> on the page as it is in person. He's one, he's one of those people. He's he's a lovely guy, and he's exactly how you imagine uh, an English tutor to be when you've not met one. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, um, just every sentence is sort of like a little t- riddle of its own, lots of metaphors and things that don't quite make sense, but almost make sense. <laughs> yeah. Sounds kind of like me. <laughs> I'm always halfway between a metaphor and something else. <laughs> um, well, it was terrifying to a fresh-faced 18-year-old who, who first encountered him when I came up to Oxford, but, but it's it's very endearing to read. Um, sounds nice. I'm actually very interested in um, the whole story of Alice in Wonderland, um, especially since I saw that play that was a few years ago that was Peter and Alice. Did you go and see that? I feel like you did. I did, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's sort of skirted around some of the more common questions about, like, was Lewis Carroll too interested in young girls sort of thing. Yes. But, um, he's, he's, he's keeping his cards close to his chest there. But there's a 300 pages left to go, so perhaps he'll <laughs> move his cards not. further away from his chest. I don't know. <laughs> Oh dear, I've become I've become like that. Clearly, I just throw metaphors in. Yeah. You know, it happens to all of us at some point. We read too much and we try too hard. <laughs> just how it is. That's the tagline of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Should we get to the point? Yes, I, I thought there was a lovely segue there with when you mentioned that London belongs to me has just been reprinted. So oh. let's pretend that we picked it up there. Okay, great. Um, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, why don't you start? Okay. Um, well, I mean, obviously, both of us are great lovers of Persephone books. Mm. You, for those of you who don't know, and who are we kidding? Everyone listening, <laughs> surely know, otherwise you wouldn't have found us in the first place. Exactly. Um, beautiful paperbacks with the lovely grey, dove grey outer covers, and then the sort of fabric, printed fabric, but not actual fabric, um, that's suitable in some way either for the period or has got some connection in the fabric, um, in the pattern, to the text. And they're absolutely beautiful. They come with a matching bookmark as well with the fabric on. Um, and they have brought back many a novel that would probably never have seen the light of day otherwise, um, such as Dorothy Whittle, one of my absolute favourites, 
Um, lots of E.M. Delafield, which is a great, you're a great fan of. Exactly, yeah. Um, In fact, you can hear, but we can hear us both eulogise about lovely Persephone in episode, I'm going to say three, maybe, I don't know, whenever we talked about Persephone versus Virago. Ah, yes, Yes. no, didn't we? Um, So that's a press that I think has done a really fantastic job of not only choosing great books, but also of designing great books. Mm, mm. And I think there are a lot of reprints going on at the moment that have you know brought back loads of really interesting books but they haven't necessarily had that same design focus so i'm thinking for example the faber finds that they've brought back they're very much machine produced not very interesting Mm. um and virago's reprints i used to love them when they were the green and they all looked the same and you could you could spot a Virago on a shelf, but now everything, each of them is so different and they tend to kind of theme it by author rather than by the publishing house. Um, you don't have that sense of coherence between the texts, which I find a bit challenging. Um, but I think actually I would say, this is one I haven't mentioned to you actually, my favourite reprints at the moment that I've seen are um, Nancy Mitford reprints that Penguin mm. have done. Have you seen these covers? They have. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're stunning. Absolutely stunning. I saw them in foils a few weeks ago, and they're just the most beautiful covers. And they're all different, but because they've all got that sort of brush stroke painterly pattern, they all look like they belong to a set. And they're absolutely gorgeous. And I think Penguin and also... Um, some of the other bigger publishing houses are really catching on to this kind of niche press thing at the moment and are really bringing back particular authors in these collections that have a theme amongst decoration and that look really nice. And everyone is loving the paperback with the flap. Yes, absolutely. Everyone loves that now. Everyone loves that. Um, oh, I should say before I get, forget, uh, this topic was suggested by Michelle who, from Book Musings. Um oh who is sort of the queen of book Instagram, or bookstagram, if you will. Um, so thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, I think you're you're right. Um, it's, it's that sort of instinct to have matching books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we'll get on to the joys of original editions later, but um, I do... I am I'm very much sold on my on books by a certain author looking the same. And I mean, it's not essential. I'm not, you know, too precious about it. But but if I have the choice between buying a copy of a book um, that matches the other ones I have by the author and a different one, then I'm going to get the matching one. In fact, this, uh, I can't remember the editions I have Henry Green novels in, but um, it's an American edition, Harville Secker maybe. But I now just can't cope with not having matching ones. So I see affordable copies of Henry Green novels I've not got and thought, no, can't can't have that. I'll have to wait until I see it in Harville Secker or whoever it is. And, and the same for Penelope Fitzgerald, actually. Flamingo... Did not even stunningly attractive copies. They're just normal sort of 1990s paperbacks, but they're they're all uh, white with a single image on the front or um, a pattern across the front for different different novels. And I have to have all of my Penelope Fitzgeralds in those editions now, and I've given away ones I had in different editions because I need them all to match. so there is definitely a lure to that, whether it is Persephone or the Virago Morning Classics or something, or if, as you say, just individual authors, it's very tempting to just get them all, that collector's instinct. Yeah, which is dangerous, really. Absolutely. <laughs> and it leads to you having many unread books on your shelf, because I used to obsessively buy the old Greenspine Virago, because I thought, well, you know, I'll probably like them, and then 
actually I realised after a while that they're not like Persephone in that they're really carefully curated as much as I hate that word <laughs> in that context. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Picked because there's a real thread that runs through them. They're just generally books by women that are not in print. And just as any book by a man not in print is not necessarily going to appeal to everyone, um, you know, not every book by a woman is going to appeal to a woman. So <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's less of a marker of quality for me. But I do really like, actually, their hardback ones that they've brought out in the last few years um, where they've got those lovely designs um like fa- like the inside of the Persephone book really the fabric style design and those mm. ones seem more carefully chosen to appeal to a particular audience if you see what I mean like the titles they've picked to be part of that series um, for example they've got the Daphne du Maurier's they've got um Elaine Dundee in there they've got um then it's for Charing Cross Road. They've done yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. It's, it's a really lovely. Well, the thing I found that they're beautiful editions. In some ways, quite similar to those Nancy Mitfords. Mm. Um, also, I think I had every single one of them before they came out. I was looking and thinking, I want to buy these, but <laughs> I've already got all of them. And can yeah. I justify buying them all again? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's my problem as well because a lot of the reprints that come out, I've already got. Mm. And that was something I was going to raise. Actually, is I mean, obviously, we we love reprints. We really love having books come back into the public eye. But I do find a lot of the reprints are of the same books every time. So, I mean, I've lost count of the number of beautiful editions of Jane Austen novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, could we be being a bit more inventive with who we're bringing back? Well, a publisher I really love for their choices um, is Bello, um, who is a subsidiary of Pam Macmillan, or Macmillan, or whatever they're called at the moment. Um, do you know Bello? Yes. Yeah. So, did, say again? I've had a few emails from them, I think. Ah, lovely Lizzie, probably, at Bello. Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, Lizzie. Um, so, they they t- do ebooks and print on demand, so it's not got the it's really immaculate standards of of you know um shop books you buy in shop but for print on demand they're really exquisite they're they're nice quality paper they they put some thought into the design of the it's not um overly designed covers but then nor are they the sort of you know you get those print on demand things where they've just shoved a picture of a painting they've got from 1800 or whatever <laughs> um and they've done things like they've done lots of edith olivier books they've done lots of edith Sackville west um there's all sorts of Oh, they're just about to do lots of Mary Hocking. Um, Ali, uh, Heaven Ali, um, has lent all her Mary Hocking books to them, and I've, um, got, I'm hoping to read one for Mary Hocking Reading Week coming up later in April, I believe. Yeah. Um, but they tend to take a very obscure writer and just do everything or nearly everything by the author. So, for example, I've not read it yet, but I got As Far as Jane's Grandmother's by Edith Olivier that was impossible to get secondhand. Um, and yet now I have a copy of it. So I really like what they're doing in terms of looking at these very niche authors and in some ways actually quite influenced by bloggers, I think. Um, mm. And they are, they're actually doing a, yeah, they, like you said, they're doing a service rather than just bringing back the same old standards into print. Yeah. And I think that's great because in a world that is so motivated by financial gain, Simon, <laughs> that there is a publisher out there who's like, Do you know what, this probably isn't going to make me a load of money. But there are a good number of people out there who will want to read this. And actually, let's provide something for people who are real readers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Bello. But uh, um, at the same time, to get back to the original topic, I probably would still rather have the original editions if they were available yeah. <laughs> um, of those particular books. 
um, because there is, well, if we seem to have um, <laughs> gravitated uh, to sort of interwar novels, as is it always <laughs> inevitable. <laughs> um, and this something just ineffably lovely about 1920s and 1930s hardbacks. I just, I love how they feel. I love how they yeah. smell. I love how they look. Um, and yeah, I think there are, there are definitely lots of advantage prints that we should talk more, talk more about, but, um, the lure of a, of an old hardback, uh, maybe can't be beaten. No, it never fails. And the thing is, when you buy an old hardback, you don't just buy the story, you buy everybody who else who's read it. You buy the fact mm. that this book was printed at the time when the author was alive. That's something that always gives me a thrill whenever I buy an old Hogarth Press book from like mm. Virginia Woolf's death. So I'm like, she touched this, probably. She was involved in the printing of this. And it is that connection to the past. And you can imagine it coming out fresh off the press. And I love it when you find people have underlined bits or written bits. And I also love it when you find little clippings from the newspaper mm, inside mm. books. And you just have that real sense that this book has been treasured and loved and read before you. And that someone else will read it again after you. And you will be part of a chain of a reading experience. Which, for me, you know, obviously it's very romanticised because I can't help romanticising everything. <laughs> Um, you know, it's when you buy a paperback from the shop, it's not, I mean, it might be very pretty and might look lovely on your shelf and have a nice matching set and what have you, but you're not going to get that same sense of connection with the author and the time in which they lived. Um, and that's what I, you know, I just cannot resist. Even if I've already got the book in a paperback, if I find the original edition, I'm like, right, that's mine, I'm having it. And I will then get rid of the reprint because... I actually much prefer, I know lots of people like nice, clean, modern paperbacks, but I prefer a shelf of dusty hardbacks any day. Mm, yeah. And something I also really like about that sort of period of uh, book, or indeed older, is that in a second-hand bookshop, you might well come across it, and it won't ha- if it's not got the dust jacket anymore, there won't be any information about the book on it. It'll just be a title and an author. Um, and that's... And if, you, and if you've not heard of the author before, that's all you've got. You flick through yeah. it. And I just love the sort of mystery of not having any blurb or any quotes or or any anything like getting between you and the book is just a complete mystery what the book will be like um and i have to admit i've not come across any books that are all-time favorites that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um quite often I, if it's affordable i'll just buy a complete mystery book and it has actually there was one um bernadette murphy's book called uh something the old unexpected guest um that i I bought in Hale I didn't know anything about it, apart from the fact that it was from the 1930s, and I think Jonathan Cape had published it, um, and I quite like the feel of their books from that period. Um, and then it turned out to be really useful for my thesis, because it turned out to be a, a time-slip novel, which, and I ended up writing about it, didn't even know um, oh, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever sort of uh, buy a book like that without knowing anything about it? Yeah, I did. I used to buy, when I lived in New York, I used to go to the Strand bookshop quite a lot and they have a dollar shelves outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was very, actually, no, they, they went up to two dollar shelves while I lived there, actually. Inflation for you. <laughs> um, and I used to buy books there quite often because I didn't have any money. And, um, the library often didn't have the sort of genre of books I preferred. Um, and I picked up one of the best books that I read while I was in America, actually, was Louis um, Brumfield's Mrs. Parkington, which mm. I absolutely adored. And I picked it up. I flicked through. I like. I looked at the first couple of pages. I thought, oh, this sounds like a kind of book I like. And I liked the writing style and the paper, the hardback was really nice. So I just bought it on a whim and then absolutely loved it. And I think probably if I'd have walked past it in a bookshop, you know, with in a new edition, I wouldn't even have picked it up. Mm. So... Yes, I um, 
I bought it after you reviewed it, but I've not read it yet. <laughs> you could pretty like it. Uh, so I have to say, my um, my bookshelves are filled with books that I bought on a whim, but I've not read that many. <laughs> so quite often I think, oh, I don't know anything about this, and then it will stay there. Although the other day I did, um, I just blogged about it actually. Um, I was in a bookshop in Bath and I bought a book called Private Papers of a Bankrupt Bookseller. Yeah, I read your post. Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, and that was, I mean, yeah, that was a complete mystery. It was, in fact, it was anonymous. I didn't even know who wrote it until after I finished because, I mean, that information is available online. It turns out, but. Um, yeah, that that was a r- real treat. And I not only had never heard of it, but um, it just would have been impossible to find any reprint. It would the only place I could find it is sort of a mystery shelf somewhere because it's one of those things. It's not a novel. It's not nonfiction. It's sort of halfway right. between the two. Yeah, wouldn't even know where to shelve it most of the time, and it certainly wouldn't be published now. But um, that was a real treat. <laughs> I love things like that. So lovely. Yeah. Well, I think for me. You know, what's great about reprints is that they make attractive a book that perhaps would people wouldn't normally pick up. So for the average reader, you know, who doesn't go shopping in secondhand bookshops and, you know, he doesn't really like, I mean, people like my mum hates old books, for example, because she doesn't like the fact that they're dirty and dusty and what have you. Um, so, you know, people like that who are shopping and see that they see a nice, pretty looking paperback. They're not necessarily registering the fact that it's an old novel and maybe they're more used to reading modern stuff and that enables them to branch out and read something that is older and that might encourage them to go and explore further in that period of literature than they would otherwise. And I think that's really great. Um, and I also like the opportunity to buy books like that for friends. Mm, that's true. Presents and things. Um, like I bought um, a friend at work, one of the nice Nancy Mitford um, reprints and she absolutely loved it she's like oh can I read more can I read more and I was like great you know like I don't and I don't think she would have gone and specifically and bought an old copy of it so um I that, for that I think it's great I also yes I definitely also like um blogging or recommending books if if I know they're readily available on the shelf because I mean whilst I'm more than happy to r- write about things like private papers of a bankrupt bookseller that's not easy to get it's, it's better if I can say, if you pop down to Waterstones, you'll find this waiting exactly. for you. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it is all about making literature accessible, and I think that's really important. But for me, as someone who loves books and who, who as an object as well as a story, um, having the old copy, because it's just it's just such a thrill to have something that's that old and mm. that has all the history with it, that will, reprints will never replace that for me. Um, what we've not talked about yet is... Um, the notes and thing, an introduction and things that reprints have. I never read them, Simon. Never read them. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, sure. Cool. Done. And, I, uh, <laughs> I mean to, but then you know you get because I never read the. I learned very early on at university. Never read the introduction before you read the book because it's not really yeah. an introduction, is it? It just spoils everything for you. Um, it does often astonish me the way that. I mean, obviously, we don't just read books for the plot, but you shouldn't spoil the plot. And it seems every classic book, they just sort of assume you know what they, know. you know what happens already. It's like, do you people not understand the meaning of the word introduction? <laughs> yes. And I find this even with the Stephanie books. I always read the introductions there afterwards. And sometimes they have afterwards, and I can't work out what criteria have made something an afterword and something an introduction. I'm sure they have laid them down. But, I suspect um, there isn't one. Yeah, <laughs> I should check. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I do almost always read instructions, and um, uh, about half the time I enjoy them. No, not talk, just talking about 70, 70, I always enjoy them, but um, other other editions. Some, sometimes 
sometimes they add a real insight and I like if, if, if they mostly talk about the book but add information about the author's life that helps you understand it better it's the ones that just talk about the book or just talk about the author's life like especially if the ones that just summarize the plot I think I've just read the book I know what happens in it <laughs> but yeah thanks for that yeah or the ones where they just like a different angle to think about that's that's interesting but I mean most of the time by the time I've finished reading a book I, I've forgotten that there is an introduction and I don't get back to it <laughs> too bad I know um, I've got to f- confess that I, I don't often read that many of the notes, partly because um, it's very hard to work out just from a little asterisk or something whether it's going to be one of those really useful notes or one of the ones yeah. <laughs> which is just like, this is, you know, what a halfpenny bit is or something. Is a halfpenny bit a thing? A halfpenny anyway. Yeah, a halfpenny <laughs> bit a thing. Okay, cool. Um, I, I sort of undermined my own point there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I need these notes, clearly. Um so I guess this is less relevant to you if you if you don't read them, but I have very strong opinions about no <laughs> the the merits of endnotes and footnotes, um, or more particularly the index the or the proper um, notation for endnotes. <laughs> and I'll tell you my strong opinion, Rachel. Okay. What I really don't like is if in a chapter all the notes are just numbered one to whatever, and then you flick to the back and it's arranged them by chapter. And so you're looking at all this forest and think, well, I know I'm looking for cha- like note number four, but I can't remember what number chapter I'm reading. I need to flick back and then find out what number chapter you're reading so you can flick back to the end to find that you're reading chapter ten, note four, it's not chapter nine, note four. Read all this stuff it's so annoying. But there is a way around this that every publisher should ad- adopt, which I've seen in some places, where what they have at the, at the back with the notes, they say, these are the notes to pages 100 to 110 or something. And I think, well, yes, I know what page number I'm reading. And that's very easy. I know that the note I want is on this page. And then everyone's happy. Yeah. <laughs> you sound delirious with happiness. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, the thing is, yeah, like you say, the annoying thing about notes is like you don't know what the note's going to be. And then the amount of times I've flicked back and it's just been like a really pointless comment about something like, oh, people wore this um, to represent this. I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of knew that already. That's yeah. <laughs> Or it'll be like, in London or something. I'm like, yeah, I know that street's in London. <laughs> but what really frustrates me is once I read a classic book, I can't remember what it was, but there was loads of French in it. And it randomly translated in the back really simple simple phrases that everyone knows. And then like big passages of dialogue where I was like, oh, I think I've understood most of that, but I'm not quite sure. No, no. <laughs> what was that all about? Maybe they also didn't know them. <laughs> it's like, I believe this No one will check. It's, we won't bother. <laughs> It's like, it's like Cela V was translated in That's Life. It's like, well, thanks. I mean, I think everyone's fine with that. Yeah, we've all heard Bewitch's song. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we've seen that double dead in many times. <laughs> this is, we've thus completely alienated all our American listeners <laughs> <laughs> who think we're talking about the, <laughs> the sitcom. But, um... Terrible, terrible Irish fan. <laughs> They told me that life is a roller coaster, and they were right. Yeah. I know that was Ronan. They sang something about roller coasters. They anyway. <laughs> um, oh dear. <laughs> uh, this is one advantage I, I'm going to plough straight on. One advantage I find of um, reprints to auditions is uh, maybe not the one you, whichever one that was, but I often find that original auditions just give great swathes in Greek or Latin or yeah. basically any language other than English, and I'm and I'm lost. Whereas at least usually they will. Um, translate that in, in reprints so that's, yeah. that's the best way I find it really like, interesting though don't you the fact that it was just assumed that people would know that yeah and I, I mean I assume huge swathes of people did perhaps most of the people who bought novels but um, I can't imagine there was a time when 
ancient Greek was universal. <laughs> I know, it's odd, isn't it? You think, well, I suppose it's a kind of a snobby thing in some ways. It's like, well, if you don't know this, then you should yeah. be reading the book. <laughs> Um, but generally, I'm more likely to take recourse to, to Google or to an online dictionary, particularly OxfordDictionaries.com. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> if, if I, uh, if I, yeah, if I'm having trouble with a book, I just read to the light, reread to the lighthouse, which was wonderful. But the notes there were pretty bad. Um, David Bradshaw is an academic who, who did them, and some of them were very useful, but some of them was just, I remember the one that particularly annoyed me was, um, they were talking about some condition of the house and he'd asterisk this, so I thought, oh, I wonder what, what that's going to be. Went to the back and he said, maybe this is why the rent is so cheap. <laughs> I was like, what? Why? <laughs> What's the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> I make my own surmises about the rent, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so. I think um, we've both kind of already said what our, uh, our decision would be on this one. I think so. I think, though very grateful for reprints particularly where other books aren't available yes um if i get to choose between a shelf of original books and a shelf of reprints it would be the original books yeah i'm in entire agreement with you i thought you might be <laughs> thank you michelle for suggesting that topic yeah really interesting um and the second half we'll be um talking um time traveler's wife by versus um her fearful symmetry yeah. by audrey Nifnegger. um I'll kick off with um, Time Traveller's Wife, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, let's see how much I remember, again, I mean, I read these books ages ago. But let's see. Uh, so Time Traveller's Wife is about um, a time traveller and his <laughs> wife. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Henry Abshire is a, is a time traveller. Um, Claire, his wife, is someone who he meets at... Basically, they meet it lots of times at different ages, and it charts their um, relationship. But by by the nature of the time travel, we see it at different stages. So we have to amalgamate an understanding of um, yeah, of, of how how things have changed over time. And I think it's very cleverly done how this, this, we see these different characters at different ages, um, not in it necessarily in a linear fashion, but it but it somehow works, and it's pretty much straightforward plot about wh- how she copes with that very sort of unusual marriage and that'll probably do as an introduction to that one yes very good <laughs> um do you want to do heavy or symmetry oh, right yes yeah, sorry um i can't remember the names of any of the characters but it's basically about um twins who live next to highgate cemetery in london north london um and I can't... There's something to do with a ghost. Sh- shall I? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I must confess, I just reread the Wikipedia um, synopsis. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, it's it's um, a very curious... Well, there's two sets of twins. One of um, We don't see that much of the older set, but the, the newer set... Um, <laughs> they inherit the flat, don't they? They inherit the flat, they move in together, and they have a sort of weird power struggle, basically. Um, one of them is very dependent on the other one. Um, so what are they? Julia and Valentina. Um, and they, I'm wondering how much to give away at this point. There's, there's a man who, who suffers from OCD living in the flat above them. Yeah. Um, the person in the flat below them was, I believe, once the lover of their, yes, the lover of their aunt Elspeth, who's one of the other twins. Um, and then it all gets very weird when one of the twins decides to fake her own death, except she's actually dying, and her soul gets absorbed into the flat, and then there's a 
kitten that gets absorbed into someone else's soul. It's all very bizarre. Yeah. So, so I think it's impossible to give a straightforward synopsis of this. Yeah, book. without ruining what happens. Um, and it might be obvious already from my um, description of it that I loved the Time Traveler's Wife and I hated her fearful symmetry. So I'm unlikely to remember it, but um, I read Time Traveler's Wife for a few years after it came out. A lot of other people had talked about it first, and it was one of those ones where I was, I was a bit resistant to reading it because there had been so much hype and so many people had raved about it. And I thought, well, I'm sure I won't like this. But eventually, I can't remember quite what prompted it, but I decided I would actually read it. Um, and I thought it was really enjoyable, quite enjoyably dramatic, well-written. And I don't think it was much longer after that that Her Fearful Symmetry came out. And I pre-ordered it, which never happens with a new book, um, for me, because I thought twins, yes, gothic, yes, ticking every box, exactly, dealing with mental illness, hopefully in a sensitive way, um, a little bit of the fantastic in there. I thought this sounds perfect, and then I thought just thought it was it's really badly plotted, and I mean I'm a stickler for twins being written about well, as you know, <laughs> um, and I. I think the biggest stumbling block for me was that these twins hated being mistaken for each other and yet always dressed the same. It's like, firstly, adult twins don't dress the same as each other. <laughs> Secondly, if you're sick of people thinking you're your sister, put on a different dress. Yeah. <laughs> for goodness sake, it's not part. <laughs> exactly. And then all the sort of weird... I mean, I thought it was quite interesting the way she wrote about... Um, tw- twins who weren't entirely happy with their relationship, how one of them was more reliant on one than the other, because I think that probably often happens. Well, it does often happen. Um, but the whole soul being absorbed and, also, and you know, feeling so oppressed they decide to end their life in a certain sense. I don't know, it's just all so overblown, and a bit, it just felt silly, basically, by the end. What are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I I was exactly the same as you. It took me ages to read The Time Traveler's Wife because I thought, well, everyone is talking about this, which means it's probably going to be rubbish and not my cup of tea. I refuse to read it. And then I can't remember why I read it. I feel like I had to read it for some reason. I Possibly a book club. And um, then so I picked it up and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to read this book. I'm so annoyed about having to read this. It's going to be a load of sentimental rubbish. <laughs> and then I was addicted, could not put it down. And I thought, for goodness sake, this really is as good as everyone says it is. You know, what have I done? Leaving it <laughs> ripped, like ripped through it. Could not stop reading. I like, was walking down the stairs with it. I used to take over when I was driving. I'd like have it next to me. And the minute I was stopped at a traffic light, I was like, oh my God, next to oh, wow. it. Was like, I literally couldn't stop reading it. And then I was super excited when her fearful symmetry came out because I love Highgate Cemetery. I was like, it's set in Highgate Cemetery. It's going to be just as it's going to basically be Time Traveler's Wife in Highgate Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Um, and I actually got an advanced copy from the publisher to read and review, which was like the first one I'd ever had because I just started blogging at the time. Um, and it was like the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me. Um, and because I was cheeky and I emailed them and I was like, can I have a copy? Yeah. Um, and they were like, yeah, sure. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so easy. <laughs> um, and it was just like, the best thing ever. And then I started reading it and I thought, oh, I'm not entirely sure this is good. And then I kept reading and I was like, well, you know, it's, I kind of enjoyed it in some ways. Like, I, once I'd got past, I was like, I'm going to have to just allow the fact that this is ridiculous to just happen to me. 
Um, I'm going to have to get over it, the fact that it's ridiculous, and I'll just focus on the story. Um, and I loved all the bits set in the cemetery, and it was very kind of um, true to the location and everything. But the story itself was just a bit strange, really, and didn't quite work. And I was surprised that someone who'd written The Time Traveller's Wife that had been so emotionally raw and so involved with the lives of the characters and, and really made these people come to life could write something that was just so kind of not kind of immature in a way I felt like a, think, a book a child would write. I think immature is a good word. It it, it, the emotions were, weren't realistic. And like, I'm, I'm fine with strange things happening in the book. I mean, obviously time traveler's wife is centers around an impossible thing, but there it's where it seemed to me really quite sophisticated the way in which people would respond to it and the way in which people would in some ways, I mean in some ways it was a wife coping with an absent husband um just Brit large um whereas the emotions of yeah the emotions of happy symmetry just didn't ring true to me and it did feel like uh, as you say like the sort of thing a child would plot um, yeah just yeah and didn't really cohere and the, the plotting in time traveler's wife is is quite clever and things happen and then later you see the significance of them etc that just didn't happen in Happy Full Symmetry no it was just sort of I just read it and was like alright okay you know like well whatever it's not going to stay with me whereas I felt like The Time Traveller's Life was something that really haunted me Mm. and I really like I I carried it with me and during the day when I wasn't reading it and I just thought this is this is a book that sort of spoke to me on quite a deep level, whereas this book is just, it felt like a bit of silliness, you know? Yeah, do you know what the opinion more widely of, of the of Her Fifth World Symmetry was? Yeah, I think it was quite widely panned, actually. I was it? Oh. And, you know, she hasn't brought out another book since, has she? Um, I think she's done a graphic novel, maybe, but she hasn't done another... Um straightforward novel. Well, I have to say, Simon, also, I mean, and I don't like normally to say horrid things about people, but I did go to a reading of um, Her Fearful Symmetry um, with a lovely Clara of Paperback Reader. Mm. Um, And I was so excited to meet her, and I sort of went along and listened to everything she said, and then I went up afterwards to get my book signed. And I said, oh, you know, I really, really love Time Trapper's Wife. I'm so excited to read this. And she just looked at me as if I was a piece of dirt on her shoe and said nothing. And I thought, how? Oh, wow. Like, sorry for being enthusiastic about your work. I was going to say. How bizarre. What was she expecting at us? <laughs> book reading? And then I thought, you know what, lady? I don't like you very much anymore because you were rude. And, you know, don't get too big for your beats because... Clearly, one bestseller does not a best-selling novelist make. <laughs> That's what you should have said. <laughs> um, I have to confess, yes, that I have been very much swayed by it. Well, when I saw Lionel Shriver speak, she seemed so unpleasant that even, <laughs> even if I hadn't hated, we we have to talk about Kevin already, <laughs> I would have hated it more. She told a story about how her her agent wanted to make some edits and she was like, and then I slept with her husband. Ah. <laughs> How horrifying. Okay. Also, you should listen. That Kevin book was written terribly. <laughs> I always find them more sort of up themselves. These modern art uh, writers are the worst their writing is. Yes. Humility yeah. is a great quality. Whereas when I saw, and you can sound the klaxon, Marilyn Robinson, um, <laughs> we've mentioned her, it's a proper episode, she was <laughs> lovely. <laughs> you just love her. 
<laughs> yeah, she's great. In fact, I made a bit of a fool of myself by being far too um, admiring of her afterwards, but she dealt with it very well. So thank you, Marilyn. Um, and Sarah Waters, she was lovely. I heard her speak, and in fact, afterwards I said, love to hear her speak." She was great. She's very funny. Um, I did at the end to just go up to her, and we were talking about Lolly Willows for some reason. And I, and I just said, "I love a maiden aunt." And then we were, <laughs> we were, okay. Sort of the end of a end of the conversation. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yes, but um, Audrey Nifinaga. Maybe you should not be so big for her boots if it's on a downhill trajectory. <laughs> I feel um, like we're... Sorry. I was just going to say, I just I felt really disappointed, actually, that her fearful symmetry was so bad because it had, you know, a novel set in Highgate Cemetery should be amazing. It did have all these wonderful ingredients. Yeah, um, I mean, could you imagine of all the possible stories you could have written about Highgate Cemetery? And instead, I mean, I, no offence, Simon, but... You know, it does seem to be quite a thing. People are like, oh, I'm going to write a book about twins. That's going to make it really interesting. It's like, <laughs> hey, what, twins aren't just, like, inherently interesting. You have to do something interesting. <laughs> well, agree to disagree. No, no, I do agree. Um, I, I think also if people are using twins just to be, like, oh, this, they're weird or something. Yeah, or, twins, are, twins yeah. are always depicted as being weird and, like, yes. wanting, to, wanting to consume each other and stuff. It's like, not all twins are like that. No. <laughs> and even the ones who have sort of a, a weird, you know, paramount or something, that's not the next logical step. It's not like, <laughs> I'll fake my death and live, and live as a ghost in this house. <laughs> because that's <laughs> what people do. I want my own identity, and that's what I'm going to do. Yes, exactly. It's the only way. <laughs> I won't stop wearing the same clothes as my sister. <laughs> just die and become a ghost. <laughs> yeah, so that, that would be a bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I did give away my copy of it. Um, yeah. I, I would definitely reread. I've not reread um, Time Traveler's Wife, but I definitely would. Yeah, I would. I'm a bit worried, though. I wouldn't like it as much the second time round. Because the kind of, yeah. it's, it's kind of like one of those end night Shyamalan, film, Shyamalan films. Once you know the twist... Yeah. <laughs> it's ruined. You know, like um signs um what's that film with see de- seeing dead people, what's it called? Oh the sixth sense. The sixth sense. Once you know that he's dead, you can't you're like, oh there we are. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Everyone's seen it. True. I've never seen it actually, but I did oh. I did know that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> in fact I think I found it out by watching <laughs> I think I found out by watching a one foot in the grave parody of it. Oh. <laughs> So there you go. It's unlikely, but hilarious. <laughs> um, speaking of films, did you see the Time Traveller's Wife film? I did, and it was rubbish. Oh, I actually liked it. Oh, yeah. No, I really didn't. I, it didn't... I, I only... I think it only worked if you read the book. If you hadn't read the book, then so much was it, of it was missing. Okay. Um... Was that what you didn't like about it, then, that it was Yeah, too, because I yeah. went to see it with someone who hadn't read the book, and they were just hopelessly confused. Oh, really? And I was, like, crying, um, and she was like, I don't really get why you're so emotionally involved with this. I'm like, well, because, you know, I know the characters already, so that's, you know, whereas I think if you didn't know them, you didn't get enough time with them. Oh, okay. Because, yes, like you, I saw it after I'd read it, so I was, oh. I just thought they did quite a lovely job of of putting the affection for the characters across the... Um, that bit was across, great, and I yeah. thought the, um, I really love Rachel McAdams, so she was great. Um, don't like the guy in it as much. Bit of a wooden actor, I find. Eric Banner, yeah, he was, um, yeah, she was definitely better than him. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I thought it was fun, but yes, and and actually quite heartrending, but perhaps not as much as the book as is to be expected. Yeah. Um, well, there we are. I think we've both made it very clear what our decision is in this. Yes, we don't have that really that much to say after having loved one and pan the other. Um, yeah. Basically, I just wanted an opportunity to to vent about her fearful symmetry, more specifically, twins dressing the same. So that's why I, <laughs> why I chose this topic. <laughs> But it does seem that we have more to say when we talk about older books, doesn't yeah. it? We don't really do modern literature. <laughs> we tried, guys, we tried. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, so I've got my phone here. Just had a lovely email from Jennifer Hall telling us how much she likes the podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you. Oh, oh that's very came at a very opportune time. Aw. Yeah. Well, do send us any suggestions you'd like. No one ever emails me to say they how much they like the podcast. Can I just say we always come to you? <laughs> uh, it's probably because my email address is on on the page where they go and listen to it. But they That's but, probably true. <laughs> do you email Rachel books snob? But I don't know what is. What's your email address? I don't even know. Hotmail.co.uk, <laughs> I think. There you go. Is it, and is it books snob or? No, books it snob? doesn't have the double S in it. Oh, okay. Please there you go. I like emails. Email Rachel, please. Yes. <laughs> I have a friend. She doesn't have Twitter. She can't hear you there. No. <laughs> Stuck underscore in a book. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been in complete agreement today. We both we both choose our, our original editions and we both choose Time Traveller's Wife. Yes. Look at us. I know. Um and and believe it or not, everyone, we've so far stuck to our word of preparing the books we're gonna use at home in advance. Um so, Rachel, what are we doing next time? Well, um, we're back on solid ground here with um, <laughs> nice mid-century novelist Daphne de Moray, and we're going to be comparing Rebecca and our cousin Rachel. Yeah, uh, my cousin My cousin Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Don't even know the name. <laughs> um, so if you have read them, then we would love for you to kind of comment after next week's episode. And if you haven't read them and want to be able to listen and put your two penneth in while you're listening, then... Please do read them. You'll have a good couple of weeks, won't they? Yes, at the, at the very least. Yes. Um, and they're both great books. I've yes. seen it once. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. And to be honest, I'm not sure I'd be able to, to pick between them. So <laughs> we'll find out next time. Yeah. Oh, we'd also love to hear from anyone who deeply loves her fearful symmetry. In defense of that, would be very interesting to hear. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us why we're wrong. I don't think there will be anyone, but, you know, <laughs> I'm always happy to be proved wrong. Audrey will send in some thoughts herself. <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> you know what, Audrey, oh. be nicer to people at book signings, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> We've all learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right, cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Everyone, bye. Bye. bye.